0: A little-known fact is that the gathering around the table at night was originally referred to by the students as Katie's table. This was Katie's table. She prepared the table. She made the soup. She allowed for the discussion to take place. And one of the greatest works we have on the Reformation by Martin Luther were discussions that took place at her table. Without Katie, there's no Katie's table. Without Katie, by the way, there's no soup either.
1: Katerina Luther, the wife of Martin Luther, had a profound impact on the Protestant Reformation. Here on Wisdom for the Heart, Stephen Davey has been working through a series entitled Legacies of Light as he examines the biographies of several godly men and women from the past. Yesterday, we began by looking at the life of Katharina Luther, but we didn't have time to complete that lesson. Today, Stephen's going to do a little bit of review and then conclude that message. Katerina is an example of a godly wife and mother, as well as a profound theologian in her own right. Now, here's Stephen Davy with today's lesson. Here's
0: a here's a, a now forty-two-year-old leader of the Protestant Reformation. Challenge the structure and theology of the church. Now it's several years old. It's gaining incredible momentum. He's now written on, on God's clear design that church leaders should not be or don't have to be celibate. They can actually be married. In fact, the qualifications for the elder would be that... Fidelity in marriage would qualify those who were married by their observation before the congregation as being faithful to their wives. He's written about this. He's married off dozens of monks and priests and nuns. He's written widely on the blessing of of children and the ideal of God's design through family life. He, by the way, has brazenly and openly ridiculed the church leaders, bishops and cardinals, along with a truckload of priests for having their own mistresses. He's exposing this. He's written extensively on the obvious created nature of God's delight for a man to find a woman and faithfully love her as his wife. But he's never conceived of the thought of marrying. It literally has not entered his mind. He's immersed in writing and Preaching, His life has this growing risk and threat. He assumes as he writes to friends, he's going to die a martyr. Any, at any moment, he's going to die, if not that way, through one of the illnesses that he had. And he had several. Now he's just been proposed to by a 26-year-old runaway nun. He's stunned. And everybody else is as well. And there's, no, there, there's absolutely no way he's going to say yes. And then he does. He reminded me of old Boaz out there at the threshing floor. You remember? His old bachelor and young Ruth comes along and essentially proposes to him. And, you know, when he wakes up after fainting, he accepts. Well, that's Luther. He's shocked and then he's smitten. Later, he'll write that he, tongue in cheek, he's to tease her and uh, everybody else. But he said that he married Katarina to make his father happy, who wanted grandchildren. I think it's a perfectly good reason for young people to get married, by the way, to give us grandchildren. So I'm all for that. He also wrote that he got married to rile up the Pope, whom he hated. And he said, I married to give the angels reason to laugh and the devil's reason to weep. He would write as well that he wanted to practice what he'd been preaching and what he'd been writing about marriage and the home so that he could become a living demonstration with his wife of the love of Christ for the church and the church for Christ. But I gotta tell you, if you read the biographies of of Martin or Katerina, and I've read several of them, this is a most unlikely marriage. This marriage has little reason to survive. What I want to do is, is kind of rehearse for you, and I've read much more than I could ever give you, but I've sort of boiled it down to three or four principles whereby we, as we are in this study, observing godly believers and finding in their lives things to imitate, as the apostles encourage us to do, and so as I kind of boil down 21 years of marriage, uh, let me give you some principles that are worthy of modeling. And before I give you the first one, let me, let me have you keep in mind in the 16th century, nobody had a church leader who was married. They didn't, they didn't have that. If you were a church leader, you were then unmarried. They didn't. They didn't see uh, uh, an example of a of a couple. Uh, they didn't see this kind of of pastor and wife. They, in fact, Philip Schaff, the historian, wrote that their marriage will become the standard for the Christian family for centuries to come. Nobody'd seen this before. Principle number one. Let me give these to you fairly quickly. Number one, marriage is not a matter of compatibility. It's a matter of commitment. The truth is they, they barely knew each other when they married. She'd been living with a believing family in town. Had been courted for nearly a year by a guy that then ran off. They had had few conversations. In the meantime, Martin is living the life of, uh, of a bachelor in the black uh, cloister. He's, he's immersed in his studies and in his his writing. When they marry, he will love books, and he will love writing, and she will love farming and organizing and cleaning. And let me emphasize cleaning. By this point in time, the monks had all left being reformed. It was only Martin living in the black cloister, and it was falling into disrepair. An older monk had, was living in an attached shed out back and that was pretty much it and this house was filthy. In fact, one of the first things that she does is order two cartfuls of lime and she will whitewash every wall in that monastery because it was so dirty. Uh, Now, let me tell you this. In a a typical marriage of Luther's day, the bride... uh, brought her bed into uh, her new home. It was usually handed down from mother to uh, daughter. And along with her bed, she would bring uh, feather quilts that she had made, along with embroidered linen and um, pillows. And you can see how life's just going to get better here uh, by the presence of of a bride. But she didn't own any of that. When he met her, she didn't even own a pair of shoes. So she came with none of that. In fact, Luther later revealed that their wedding night was spent on his bed, and he had not changed the rancid straw for over a year. He just hadn't thought about it. (laughs) There were a lot of things he evidently hadn't thought about. In fact, Luther would later write, there is a lot to get used to in the first year of marriage. I guess there was like changing your bed sheets. That would be like Luke, sleeping on sheets that had been changed for a year. Some of you guys out there are going, yeah, what's wrong with that? that, that, that works for me. He would write, when sitting alone at the table, a married man now thinks, well, before I was alone. Now there are two of us. Or when he wakes up in bed, he sees a pair of pigtails on his pillow and they weren't there before. Well, hello to married life and all the changes that would come. Luther would write, as an older man, marriage does not always run smoothly, but one must be committed. And they would demonstrate that in the most difficult of times, that marriage doesn't work because you're compatible or it's easy, but because you are committed. Number two, let me give you a second principle of marriage worthy of imitating. Uh, Marriage is not the pursuit of happiness. It's the pursuit of humility. Now, both Martin and Katerina, well, they loved each other. Love love was part of it. But it wasn't the pursuit based on love of happiness, but humility. They were both strong-willed, Uh, opinionated, stubborn, and extremely verbal. They spoke their minds. Luther would later admit the revelation of his own selfishness after getting married. He would write, Good Lord, what a lot of trouble there is in marriage. Adam has made a mess of our nature. (laughs) And then he would write perceptively, marriage is the school for character development. See, up until that day, the church was teaching that it was the monastery that was the school for developing virtue. You you sequester away. You want to get holy? Get away from everybody. Luther did it, and he found when he was alone that he was still living with himself and he would spend six hours confessing his sin. But sequester yourself away and you know, you'll, you'll grow and develop in holiness. Luther will turn all of that now upside down and say, no, 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 no. You want a training ground? You want an education in humility? Marriage and family. It's going to demand change and humility and partnership. In fact, one of the things that he, he wrote randomly, but it became such a telling distinction of his marriage and his commitment and hers and their humility. Um, in, in this day, men did not get involved in domestic chores, for the most part, everything including raising the children was reserved for uh, the women. But he, he wrote, interestingly this, he said, men should not care if they are mocked For changing diapers. Or being seen publicly hanging them outdoors to dry after washing them. That was revolutionary. In fact, he wrote, even if a man is mocked as an effeminate fool for changing diapers, God with all his angels are smiling. Not because that father is washing diapers, but because he is exercising his Christianity. This is why we look back now and we talk about the Reformation of the church and we easily miss the fact this was the Reformation of the home and marriage and parenting. Luther would refer to it as the holy work of parenting. Keep in mind, again, the Reformation is going to make every vocation a sacred calling because at that point in time, the sacred calling was uh, being a church leader. Unfortunately, Protestants still don't get that right. The highest calling. There is no high calling of pastoring. It's a high calling and not the highest calling. Guess what a high calling is? Guess what a holy vocation is? Whatever you're doing. you mechanic? A lawyer? Housewife? Doctor? Gardener? It's a holy Calling. They they arrested that word vocatio. We know it as vocation. It means sacred calling. And Luther would even write that a milkmaid is milking that cow with the hands of God. But this was this was revolutionary. And Katerina, of course, believed that even the mundane tasks were glorifying to God. And she dove in, as it were. In fact, her life never really slowed down. We know from her biographies that she maintained that regimen that she had spent so many years in and rising early. In fact, she would rise typically around 4 a.m. Luther would sleep in and he would nickname her tongue-in-cheek the morning star of Wittenberg. Life just kind of took off for them on their wedding night, in fact, and never slowed down. After midnight on their wedding night, knock on the door there at the black cloister, and it was a pastor needing refuge. They welcomed him in, and that sort of was telling and predictive of what would happen in their lives. It wasn't long before all 40 rooms, once occupied by monks, would be occupied by professors and pastors and students and political refugees and uh, uh, religious refugees, other nuns and monks and priests who were abandoning uh, the church. It took incredible humility on both their parts, especially Katerina, to serve uh, her own home, her own children. They would have six of them. They would adopt four more, nephews and nieces, ten children, and all of this busyness and they would literally invade their lives uninvited. Most of these guests would come and just show up. And by the way, keep in mind that both Martin and Katerina are used to what? They're used to years of quiet, solitude, monastic life. Now here they are raising 10 children, running a 40-bedroom hotel, a farm, a school and the church it was self-sacrificing humility on display the school of character was not the quiet of a monastery but the chaos of family and marriage number 3 marriage is not an antidote for suffering it opens doors for suffering. And I don't really have time to get into all the suffering that they experienced, but I want to focus on hers. She was the target of incredible vitriol. Everybody was against her, both on the Protestant side and the Catholic side. The Catholic side, of course, thought that she was disloyal to Christ. She violated her vows, essentially divorcing Jesus. The Protestant side believed she was a distraction to the Reformation. She was going to slow Martin down. She was going to get in the way. And that was, that, those were the good rumors. Immediately after marriage, uh, pamphlets by the church circulated throughout Germany that she was a traitor to Christ. In one, she was accused of being, quote, a dancing girl who had seduced a monk in the marriage. You may know the name Erasmus. Catholic Church leader Erasmus accused her of being with child, forcing Martin to marry her, even though the rumor would be dispelled because they'd have a baby 12 months after their marriage, their first child. He, Erasmus, begrudgingly accepted that he'd been wrong, but the rumor still had been spoken. And she never really did live that down. In fact, there's an engraving Uh, produced during their lifetime, which depicts Martin and Katerina and their six children. This is sort of the forerunner of Olin Mills. They would do engravings. And uh, you have Martin and Katerina and the six children, and lurking in the background is the seventh child. Even Henry VIII, who's living during this time, adds his own personal condemnation to the audacity of their marriage, as if he's got a leg to stand on to talk about (laughs) marriage, having killed a few of his wives. A year after their marriage, two church officials wrote letters telling Katerina to repent and return to the mother church or suffer the torments of hell. Now, Luther, for the most part, didn't respond to these particular uh, accusations, but he did this time. He wrote back, Uh, And he informed these officials that he had bound the two letters in a little booklet and he had given them to his servants to use as toilet paper there in the household and they were free to continue sending more. (laughs) Classic Martin Luther. Even after Katerina's death, in fact, in an 800-page history of Martin Luther, published as late as 1904... Continues to promote the rumor that the Reformation was actually started by Luther, who wanted to distract the world away from his fornication with Katerina. We can't imagine the impact of this malicious slander on her heart. Immediately starting out, 26 years old, she's the lightning rod of so much hatred, and yet with humility. Serve the Lord, and stayed faithful to her husband. Let me give you one more principle worth observing. Number four, marriage is not a distraction from ministry. It is an expansion of ministry. And I've said it before, but I'll say it again. That their, their marriage would become a partnership that especially in that world would be uh, a unique and just as radical as the Reformation, which would expand the ministry potential. For instance, I'll give you a couple of quick illustrations. Martin could not organize anything. I don't know about you, but I take great comfort in in that fact. And that was soon clear in their home. But what he did was really radical. He actually handed over the finances and the administration of their property, household purchases, and all of that to Katerina. And it wasn't long before she had the family on solid footing. But again, this would be unique in this generation. In fact, he he, uh, he went even further and gave her the legal right to purchase additional property, which she did. And then she purchased more cattle. And it isn't long before the household's actually making money, which they desperately needed. This was a revolutionary example to set. Another example, Luther's most famous work is called Table Talks, which isn't really a book he wrote. It's a compendium of conversations that took place around his table at night. Every evening, there would be a a light supper, Katerina would fix it, for all the guests and all the professors and all the students who'd sit around the table and debate theology and ask Luther questions Uh, We take that word supper, by the way. That's a derivative of the German word for sop or soup. And so in the evenings, they'd have light soup, which she fixed. And after they ate, you'd have this debate and discussion ongoing. And by the way, she didn't leave the room. Luther invited her to stay. She'd pull up a chair. She'd engage in the debating. And she had her own questions, which she could freely ask. Again, this this is, you know... A, a, a reformation of a home that all of these guests are seeing uh, almost accidentally that would change the way they view marriage and, and the home where the, the wife would be uh, given over to the children and to the kitchen and the husband would engage in the debate of the day. A little known fact is that the gathering around the table at night Was originally referred to by the students as Katie's table. This was Katie's table. She prepared the table, she made the soup, she allowed for the discussion to take place. And one of the greatest works we have on the Reformation by Martin Luther were discussions that took place at her table. Without Katie, there's no Katie's table. Without Katie, by the way, there's no soup either. And there they gathered. She is frankly one of the unsung heroes of the Protestant Reformation. And she served him and in unique ways allowed both of them and Martin to serve these students and beyond them the world. What a revolutionary model for the home. It's presented to these church leaders and these students and these professors, these pastors, everything Radical, which would have included something like the woman handling the finances and Martin willingly giving that to her, and Martin taking on a role which included changing and washing diapers. Men and women would leave the Luther home profoundly impacted by this couple, this household, this example this reformation not only of the church and of true doctrine but of marriage and parenting these principles of partnership and love and loyalty and commitment and humility and by the design of God from their home it would spread literally around the world and more than we know it's impacted your home and mine to this day.
1: I hope you've been encouraged and challenged today by this look into the life of Katerina Luther. Katerina Luther is one of the 16 Christian heroes from the past. That Stephen's been teaching about in this series called Legacies of Light. It's a series of Christian biographies looking at the lives and ministries of Christian heroes and martyrs from the past. We have two more lessons to go in this series, and we'll bring you those in the days ahead. You're listening to Wisdom for the Heart. This is the teaching ministry of Stephen Davey. Stephen is the pastor of the Shepherd's Church in Cary, North Carolina. You can learn more about Stephen and the ministry of Wisdom for the Heart if you visit our website, which is wisdomonline.org. And if your travel plans ever bring you through our area of North Carolina, I hope you'll consider joining us for a worship service on the Lord's Day. We'd be delighted to meet you in person. Our office is closed today as the staff enjoys a holiday break with their family and friends. But you can still interact with us if you visit our website, which is wisdomonline.org. Once you go there, you'll be able to access the complete archive of Stephen's Bible Teaching Ministry. We also post each day's broadcast. So if you ever miss one of these lessons, you can go to our website And keep caught up with our daily Bible teaching ministry. The archive of Stephen's teaching is available on that site free of charge, and you can access it anytime at wisdomonline.org. I encourage you to install our app to your phone so that you can quickly and easily access all of our Bible based resources. That app contains the audio and the transcript of each of these daily Bible messages. We also make available the archive of Stephen's teaching ministry with the full-length sermons arranged by Book of the Bible. You can follow along in our daily Bible reading plan and more. The Wisdom International app will work with your smartphone, your tablet, or a smart TV. It's free to install and use and is a great companion for your personal Bible study. Our ministry is on social media, and that's a great way to stay informed and interact with us. Be sure and like our Facebook page so that you'll get updates. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram. We post our daily Bible messages to our YouTube page so you can subscribe to that. Thanks again for joining us today. We're so glad you are with us, and I hope you'll be with us next time for more wisdom for the heart.